0: Let's pray. Spirit, we ask that you open our eyes and ears, our hearts and minds to you this day. That the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing to you. Amen. So contrary to what the bulletin might say, uh, I am titling this sermon Model of Faith. Um, Last week's was the need for grace. This week's is Model of Faith. So I want you to think about something for a minute or so. Did you have any heroes as a kid? Like, was there anyone you looked up to uh, or wanted to to mimic or or emulate? I know... um, A lot of people had someone like this, Uh, someone that they looked up to, whether it was a parent or a teacher or um, maybe a famous person. There, a lot of people look up to people. It's normal. And I think in some ways, one of the reasons that we have mentors, both in, I'll say in work and, and life, and. And religion is that we need people to guide us, right? So if you were to think about who you look up to as a Christian, who might it be? And from where do we get our examples? You heard in our first scripture passage from Genesis 12 um, about a man named Abram. This is the same person who was later renamed Abraham that we heard uh, Paul talk about in Romans chapter four. And I love the stories of Abraham. Um, I love a lot of the stories of the people in the Old Testament because in in so many ways, as one of my seminary professors said, uh, the Bible tells the worst about God's best. Everyone in scripture pretty much has made a mistake, done something against God's will, except for Jesus, right? He's kind of our our ultimate example. But I think for for those of us who have perfectionistic tendencies, looking up to Jesus can make us generally feel bad about ourselves because we will never be that, right? At least in this world, we will never be sinless, We will never be God and um, we can't even really, we can't even understand what that means, I think in a lot of ways. And yet uh, we do have other people in scripture that we can take things from. And one of those people is Abraham or Abram. As we heard in the scripture, Uh, And it's a very short part of Genesis um, at the beginning of chapter 12 that God invites Abram to leave where he's at. And this might not sound like a big deal, but three or 4,000 years ago, to leave everything that you knew to go someplace different was a huge deal. He was invited to leave his country to leave his kindred, to leave his father's house. And and no one, at least in our tradition in the Bible, nobody did that before Abram. And so in a lot of ways, um, Abram is the archetype that that we can look up to. Um, And yet, um we had to trust significantly in God in order to make even the first part of his journey. Um, because in in that culture, in that time, and even still today, I think, in certain parts of the world, and uh, even certain parts of the United States, the father's house, the, the person, um, the person's family, their their community, is where they get their safety, it's where they find their security, um, it's where they find support and, and protection, really. And at, in Abram's time, his father's household, because he would have been part of that, uh, was the center of religious, social, and economic life. That doesn't leave a whole lot else. Right? Like, so your family, your blood, whether it was immediate family or extended family, was where you learned about religion and, and how to work well and and how to be a decent human being. It was the, the familial uh, bonds that provided that. And so with God asking Abram to leave, Everything that he knew, it was kind of like walking into a black hole. There was nothing that he could have anticipated um, about what was to come. But he went anyway, which is one of the reasons that uh, Abram, Abraham is a pillar of not only the Jewish faith, but also the Christian faith. And as Paul talked about in Romans 4, Abram's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Because Abram was before the law, right? It wasn't until Moses, some however many hundreds of years later, that the law came to be. And so with no law, Paul says that there's nothing really to obey. Um, And so... Abram's righteousness was based on faith and trust. Depending on what translation you read, um, it could be, you know, Abram believed God and then went forth, or Abram had faith and went forth. But faith and belief, their foundation, I think, is trust. Uh, Abram trusted that this God, was going to do right by him. Now, granted, if you read on, um, and I think Ab- Abram, Abraham's story is between Genesis 12 and, and Genesis 25. So if you want a good read, you know it's a good read. Go check that out this week. Um, he didn't always wait for God's leading. Uh, But God didn't abandon him either. God made a promise, as we heard, you know, for those who bless you, I will bless. For those who curse you, I will curse. And oh, by the way, you are going to be a blessing to the nations, which at this point didn't make any sense because Abram didn't have any kids. Like there was no way in his mind that he was going to be a blessing without any descendants. And still he trusted this is, this is an amazing thing to me. And so as I was thinking about this and, and how much I love this particular uh, scripture in Genesis 12, that have you heard the phrase blessed to be a blessing? Uh, if not, that's okay. But it's, it's something that's often said uh, by Christians uh, that indicates of the gift that we've received and so we want to extend it to other people and it's one of those things where we demonstrate our faith by our actions and as i was reading one of the commentaries for for romans the woman talked about how how grace god's offering of love of unmerited favor if you want an official definition of grace comes before any of our action. Last week, we talked about justifying grace. And this week, um, this, this extension of God's love, before we are in relationship with God, before we know God, is something that we as Methodists call prevenient grace. It's God's work in our lives before we realize it's God's work. And and to me, that's a beautiful thing because that just reinforces the promise that God gave Abram, right, of you will be a blessing to the nations. It it doubles down on the promise of who Jesus is, of being, you know, life and and spirit, and our our Savior and Messiah. Grace comes first. God's love comes first. And one of the interesting things that I think, and Romans has so much to teach us, like it's kind of a, a Cliff's Notes version, if you remember what Cliff's Notes were, uh, of the big themes in Scripture. Like it connects the Old Testament and God's work through Jesus. It connects all kinds of things together to give a pretty good summary of God's action, God's saving action in the world um, from the very beginning, and and all of this is about, in one way, shape, or form, our inner transformation, and it's about. Our belief and trust in the one in whom we read, uh, you know, the person that is being described in scripture, Uh, it's more about our inner transformation and our relationship than it is with simply and only following a set of rules. Because Paul says very clearly if it is the adherents of the law who are to be heirs, faith is null. And the promise is void. Faith is irrelevant if all we're to do is follow the law. So uh, one of the other people that I was reading uh, to prepare for this says this, and this is a quote. The focus of the narrative is not who Abram was, but who he will become. It's about his transformation. It's about his trust to take that first step to leave his country and his kindred and his father's house and to go where God is sending him. And then to continue that transformation as he goes about the rest of his life. So if Abram slash Abraham is a model, of faith for us or is it someone we can look up to and the story that's written in scripture is about more of who of who who he is becoming than who he was how can we look at that for our own lives right the question of who am i becoming is an important question that we need to answer with god's help um And it goes into this idea of grace coming first, right? So one of the commentary commentators that I was reading talked about how um, this question of does discipleship come before doxology and doxology in, in this example is basically praise of God. So does praise of God come before or after we actually, you know, start to get an idea of what. God has actually done for us, and in some ways, we have made it in church so that praise can only come after we've done something, after we've read our Bible, or after we've accepted Christ as our Lord and Savior, or after, you know, we've had our first communion, right? Like, for whatever reason, our tradition dating back two thousand years, has put uh, markers in place to signify our growth um, in discipleship. And yet, grace comes first. Prevenient grace comes first. So, for me, as I continue to, to dig into, especially Genesis 12. There's a couple things that I'm reminded of. God's grace comes before our action. As I've been saying, grace comes first. And God's invitation to us, whatever that might be, like God's invitation to Abram to go away from his family, comes before our response. So our faith in whatever way that looks, however we demonstrate that is what does the heavy lifting. It's not our works. It's not following the law because pretty much all the new Testament writers have said that that's not possible. And we know it to be true, right? We can't follow the law to perfection. It doesn't happen. So how do we rely on God's grace? How do we trust what God is doing in our lives, or trust God even when we are really not happy about the situation that we're in. And also, how do we think about the good news? You know, the the gospel itself, this message. Does God's invitation come before our response? Or do we only get to participate because we respond affirmatively? Is it grace before action? Or do we think of the gospel as something to be followed and adhered to? Have we converted it in our minds in some way into a set of laws or a set of behaviors that we are to follow? So I want you to think about this. If you were to be telling someone about God's love, um, about Jesus, which seems more inviting to you someone that says you know god loves you and wants to be in relationship with you and that's what christianity is about and i'll help you develop this relationship with god or god loves you and wants to be in relationship with you but first you have to follow these rules and here's a long list of expectations and you can't be this and you can't be that. And well, if you're a real Christian, then you are, you know, this and you're not that. So you should really choose Jesus. Which is more inviting? Absolutely the first, right? Like, <laughs> yes, exactly. And yet, right, we often show up with people with rules nobody's going to want to follow that absolutely it does turn them off i'll never forget um so i was a delegate to jurisdictional conference which is like the northeast region of um the the united states for the united methodist church and we were we had voted on bishops and we were getting a new bishop in the susquehanna conference and um other conferences gave gifts. Like, I don't know how they did this, but you know they went and picked gifts appropriate to the bishop that they were getting. We got a new bishop. And instead of giving a gift of some kind of welcome, one of the administrative assistants handed our new bishop two three-inch, three-ring binders and said, this is how we do things in the Susquehanna Conference. <laughs> It took, <laughs> yes, Nancy. Wow. Absolutely. I was mortified. And I also thought it was the funniest thing that showed exactly who we are as a conference. I was like, oh, we care way more about rules and you know, numbers and those kind of things than we do about who this person is who is standing in front of us. We as the church get it wrong. We do. We as Christians get it wrong. And yet, we are continued to be invited by God to build our relationship with the Trinity, to be embodied um, or to have Jesus embody in us, right? To have the Holy Spirit live in us and guide us and equip us and to share what it is to be in relationship with the one who loves us. It's about faith and how we extend that and offer that to others. It's a beautiful gift. And so I hope that you reflect on on this question of, you know, who am I becoming? And how am I talking about God in a way that offers love first as opposed to rules and behaviors. Amen.